They are 11 warriors. Yes, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders and Garrick Hodge coming at you later, much later on a Wednesday than usual. And that's because we did record a podcast on Tuesday. And then as crazy as things were on National Signing Day, we said, you know what, we, we got we to do this over again. Uh, so uh, this, is, this is take two. Um, we're, we're sitting here, we've all been working for about 12 hours at this point. So, uh, you know, forgive us if, uh, things sound a little, uh, disjointed or anything goes off the rails. Um, you know, it's been a, uh, a long and crazy day, but we wanted to be able to talk about that because, you know, I, you know, I know, you know, I, I've been covering, you know, national signing days for some time, you know, certainly you guys have covered your share, but I don't know about you guys. I can't remember another national signing day for Ohio state quite like this, uh, highlighted by Ryan Day learning of Jeremiah Smith and Edric Houston's decisions in the middle of this press conference. And, and as we sit here starting to record this right now at 6.10 p.m. on a Wednesday, Jeremiah still has not officially submitted his national letter of intent to Ohio State. Now, we, do, we have been told that Ohio State still fully expects to receive that NLI, so we're going to proceed forward from here as though he is signed. If while we're recording uh, that NLI does come in, then we'll uh, we'll do an interruption, just like uh, we saw in the Ryan Day press conference on Wednesday. But otherwise, we're going to uh, talk as if he is signed, and uh, ho- hopefully, nothing will change there. But yeah, I mean, just just first off, you know, Garrick, just to get your thoughts on what a crazy day it was at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Well, the first thought is pretty simple. I am minutes, probably a little longer than that, but minutes away from figuring out if Ryan Day was correct when he said the first beer is going to taste good, and especially when he <laughs> said it's going to taste good. Um, so you, I can take that statement to the bank that I agree with him, that even if it's a little lukewarm, which I don't expect it to be, but it's going to taste tremendous, a little bit better than usual. Yeah, it was absolute chaos. Um, you know, just wrote a story kind of detailing the day, uh, the morning started off with bad news. Um, you know, 24 seven sports is Steve Wiltfon put in a crystal ball that Edric Houston was going to flip to Alabama. Um, Coy Perrick opted to stay with his Minnesota commitment, um, which was to be expected. So it's not like that sent the masses into hysteria, but, um, the Houston news certainly did, especially because. You know, the fear was that it was going to leave Ohio State with only one defensive lineman committed in the entire 2024 class, and Eric Mensa. And, you know, so things were already a little tense when we got to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. And then literally when I pulled in into the, the parking lot, Jeremiah McClellan flips to Oregon. So bad news after bad news after bad news just keeps straining the lawn to start the day. So I look at my phone, and I'm like, all right, well, here we go. I guess it's going to be one of those days, I guess, right? But we head into the team room, and then, you know, a couple minutes after uh, noon, um, which is the approximate start time that Ryan Day was supposed to head to the podium, Jeremiah Smith hadn't made a decision yet, and murmurs were kind of coming in like, oh, Miami's uh, really up the ante here, and uh, they've put themselves in a position to make themselves dangerous. And so, you know, there's kind of whispers like, well, is Jeremiah Smith going to do the unthinkable? Is he going to 
live up to what he said publicly that as long as Brian Day and Brian Hartline are at Ohio State, he will be too. And then just absolute chaos unfolds with Brian Day having two intermissions during a press conference, something I've never seen in my short three-year tenure with 11 Warriors, but I find it wildly amusing. Um, we had first 13 minutes in, General Manager Mark Pantone comes in, interrupts the press conference, basically gives Ryan Day a thumbs up like, hey, we got Jeremiah Smith, which basically leads Ryan Day to essentially almost buckle and collapse at the podium out of pure um, happiness and relief. And then a couple minutes after that, uh, Gene Smith interrupts Ryan Day to let him know that he's got a phone call from an unknown person at the time, which led to a lot of speculation like, oh, man, who's this mysterious phone call? And then he comes back to the podium and looks like a man that has just received absolute great news and news that calmed down his heart rate a little bit. And then I looked at my phone and 10 seconds after that, Edric Houston had announced that he's going to stay with Ohio State. And I didn't take a total genius to figure out that that mysterious phone call was Edric Houston himself. So wild day. Not sure that I've seen uh, any signing day like it for a while. and. I wrote in my story, if you look at the 30,000-foot view, it ended up being a net negative day for Ohio State because they did lose one of their commits, and all they did, if you want to call it that, was retain their top two ones. But the fact that they were able to retain arguably the top two most important pieces in Ohio State's 2024 class, you know, it's not a bad way to uh, salvage the day because things could have been a lot worse from what we saw, but... What a day, and uh, I'm definitely going to remember this one for a while. It was hilarious because the first break when uh, Day got the Jeremiah Smith news was in the middle of him answering a question that I asked about the the cornerbacks in the class, and then immediately following up to that, because we were still all under the impression that Edric Houston was about to flip to Alabama, uh, You know, I, I followed up and asked about you know, if Day was satisfied with the depth of Ohio State's defensive line and then, oh, twist of irony, how uh, Edrick Houston's commitment ended up coming through. Now, D-line's still a hole for this class uh, in terms of the depth of signees when you talk about only landing three-star defensive tackle Eric Mensa in addition to Houston, but um, obviously much different light painted on Larry Johnson uh, after this in terms of his recruiting. And uh, I wrote a story about how Day backed Larry in that press conference said that Larry is still young in his approach to recruiting and his development of players, how he treats the game and really just backing his guy, I think, which, you know, if you're going to move forward with Larry Johnson, as it's clear they're going to, is definitely the right move. And, uh, you know, I, I think this was a massive win for Larry just to hang on to Edric with the push that Alabama made right there at the end, you know, and it's not often that Nick Saban you know, hand selects a recruit from the South and you're able to hold him off. So, you know, that in of of itself is a victory too. But then, you know, after that, of course, the two intermissions meant that there was supposed to be a Chris Holtman press conference at 145. That ends up getting canceled. Uh, You know, I was originally planning to attend that, but the press conference ran so long and it was just such a uh, unique day at those intermissions, talking to other reporters, getting their sense, us all going through the roller coaster together. And, you know, in the end, I think a class that Ohio State fans should be excited about it. I think, you know, keeping the additions they had, even with some of the recruits you lost near the end, not just McClellan, but five-star defensive tackle Justin Scott, 
I think there's a lot of great pieces in this class for Ohio State. It's funny you mentioned going through a roller coaster with the other reporters in the room because originally Ryan Day was just going to do a Zoom call for his media availability on National Signing Day. And uh, I, I know this came up on some podcasts from other media outlets, and there was quite a bit of media backlash uh, to that. Um, you know, people uh, didn't really understand why. Uh, you know, they were going to do that. Um, you know, I mean, I think it was, it was a lot of it was based on the fact that uh, the team's leaving for Cotton Bowl on Saturday, you know, people want to, uh, go home and, you know, see their, see, see their families for Christmas before, uh, they head out to the Cotton Bowl. But, uh, I, I, it was certainly, I mean, even without all this, it was the right move for Ohio state to, to change that to an in-person press conference because I mean National Signing Day is a big day and it it also Ryan Day had not had a press conference since uh the the bowl selection day and a lot has happened since then I mean not just in recruiting but with Kyle McCord entering the transfer portal and all that and so I think certainly an in-person press conference was needed and then we ended up you know really getting some you know interesting behind the scenes looks at what it's like inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center on National Signing Day, you know, to have Gene Smith coming to his attention and saying, "Hey, you need to take a phone call right now." That's not something that we that we see at a normal uh, Tuesday press conference. So, uh, you know, definitely, you know, grateful to you know Jerry Emig and, and Ohio State for you know getting that you know set up so that you know we would have that in person press conference. And I think you know certainly uh, it, it made the day a lot more interesting for us getting back to now you know the, the overall conversation of the class you know i do think it's interesting points you guys make because you know we we, we did this podcast the original version of it on on tuesday night and the only thing that really changed in terms of the actual class since tuesday night was jeremiah mcclellan decommitting uh, from o- Ohio State uh, and, and flipping to Oregon. I mean, at the, at the time when we initially recorded it, we were under the impression that all three of Jeremiah Smith, Edric Houston, and, and Jeremiah McClellan would sign with Ohio State. And so uh, there was a lot more drama uh, on Wednesday than uh, was expected, you know, even, you know, less than 24 hours before. But, you know, it it is interesting how the perception kind of changes because. I think if Jeremiah and Edric had just quietly submitted their national letters of intent in the morning and that had been that, I think the overall tenor of the day would have been Ohio State didn't win any battles down the stretch. Because they were able to keep those guys when there was a clear push from other schools to steal them away, it's it's like Ohio State was then able to frame keeping its own guys as winning two big battles down the stretch. And so while I don't think Ohio State wanted it to go that way, you think they would have loved to just have those guys uh, submit their NLIs at uh, seven in the morning and been done with it. Uh, it it, it kind of worked out in a perception sense for Ohio State. But you know, be, beyond that, there is a lot to like about this class. You know, Ohio State uh, w- with five five stars in this class. That's the most of any team in the country. Uh, in addition to Jeremiah Smith and Edric Houston, also including uh, wide receiver Mylon Graham, cornerback Aaron Scott Jr., and quarterback Aaron Nolan. So, uh, you know, some real star power at the top of this class. Uh, 
uh, two of our top 100 prospects in cornerback Bryce West and James Peoples. You know, I think the the knock on this class certainly is going to be a lack of top end line talent outside of Edric Houston. Like like Andy said, only two total defensive linemen in this class. Ohio State at one point it looked like Ohio State could have as many as five defensive linemen in this class, but they lost Justin Scott's commitment. They missed out on Carlin Jones and Amaris Williams late, and so even with the keep keeping Edric Houston. And, you know, it's worth pointing out, too, in terms of a conversation with Larry Johnson, like, we don't know what was said on that phone call, but the rumor was that the biggest reason Edric Houston was potentially looking elsewhere was because he was worried that Larry Johnson was going to retire. So Ryan Day coming out in his press conference and publicly backing Larry Johnson may have had a real impact on Edric Houston ultimately signing with Ohio State. And so, uh, you know, those two things were connected. Is is that going to take all the heat off of Larry Johnson? No, it's not, because uh, there's been a few recruiting cycles in a row now where Ohio State has missed out on some big targets on the defensive line. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's still a negative for sure that Ohio State only has two defensive lines signed in this class. You know, it's still a negative that, you know, Ohio State did get, you know, four offensive linemen, some some good players in there, and Ian Moore, the Armstrong twins, and Gabe Van Sickle. But you would like to see that, you know, five-star offensive tackle or somebody of that caliber in this class because Ohio State really hasn't signed a guy like that since Paris Johnson Jr. And so uh, I think the lines are certainly where you look at first and foremost in an area where Ohio State has had its share of issues, particularly when it comes to playing that team up north. And I I think, you know, that's going to be the biggest thing people are going to nitpick about this class. But I do think there's still a lot to be happy about this class, especially when you talk about the five-star power. So we, all three of us gave our own personal grades for the class um, on our original Tuesday recording. And across the board, it was a bunch of B pluses. Um, If you asked me to regrade it now, knowing what I know, uh, and basically, like Dan said, the only thing that really changes um, from a whole is that Jeremiah McClellan is now out. I think I'd still probably give it a B plus, maybe a B, because I was uh, really excited about McClellan's potential as a punt returner. And, you know, considering how uh, abysmal things have been for that uh, the last couple seasons. But um, honestly, the most important factors were the two most important players to your class, Jeremiah Smith and Edric Houston, Ohio state found a way to keep those guys and they could be game changers in arguably year one, at least on Jeremiah Smith's end. We'll see if uh, Edric Houston is asked to play a lot as a true freshman, depending on how um, decisions go with Ohio state's other starters on that defensive front. But yeah, I'd still probably go B plus, maybe a B. I would go back and forth between there. If it's a B plus, it would be a very low B plus. B like a, I don't know, whatever the lowest grade is you can get and still get a B plus. That's why I uh, wasn't an A student. I was a B student. But what would you guys give uh, the overall grade, knowing what you know about the last 24 hours? Yeah, I'm sticking with a B plus. I, I think... You know, look, Jeremiah McClellan is a great prospect. I think he's going to have a really good career at Oregon. Uh, 
but he is entering a receiver's room where there's a good chance at Ohio State if he had stayed there. One of the few receiver rooms in the country, maybe the only, where it was going to be tough for him to see playing time before his junior year, at least at receiver. You know, maybe you get some action as a return man, like you said, but I mean, you have two five-star sophomores in Brandon Ennis and Carnell Tate in that room. You have two five-star freshmen committed in your own class with Mylon Graham and Jeremiah Smith. Uh, so I, I think the fact that Ohio State signed two other five-stars at the position, um, I just, I, I don't, it's obviously not as big a loss to lose Jeremiah McClellan as it would have been Jeremiah Smith or Edric Houston, as you alluded to there, Garrick. So I'm I'm pretty firm on my B+, plus just because I don't think Jeremiah McClellan changes the math a whole lot. And, you know, as again, as exciting as a prospect as he could have been, there's so much talent in that Ohio State receivers room as there has been pretty much every year under Brian Hartline. So I think that that decommitment didn't sway my grade of the class uh, much, if at all. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I'm I'm still at a B plus because you know Jeremiah McClellan, uh, although a, a great prospect and a significant loss for Ohio State, you know those three guys we talked about who we didn't know about coming into today. If you were going to lose one of the three, he's the one you would have chosen because we all agree that Jeremiah Smith is a general generational talent, someone who uh, legitimately, I think we all think could come in and start right away at, at, at Ohio State. He, he, he's that good. He's, he's that special. And so you really don't want to lose him. Uh, Edric Houston, again, if, if they lost their five-star defensive end and all they had left on the defensive line was a three-star defensive tackle, uh, that was certainly going to drop the grade. I mean, if, I mean, if they had lost both of those guys, I, we, you know, Andy and I had a brief conversation about it earlier. Uh, I think I probably would have dropped my grade to at least a B minus because those would have been two major losses. And so I, I stick with a B plus, you know, I, I can't give them an A because again, the, the defensive line numbers weren't there. They did have, uh, several late losses down the stretch, but they still have the most five stars of any team in the country. They still have a recruiting class that's ranked as the third best in the country. And so I feel like I can't give them anything less than a B plus. And, you know, I think, you know, again, it, it's just reality in, in this new world that we live in with NIL playing such a big factor in recruiting that you're not going to win every battle. And I mean, you just look at the parity across it. I don't, I don't know if this held with some of the, you know, changes that happened on National Signing Day, but I know at one point, all of the top 10 players in the composite recruiting rankings were all committed to different schools. So there, there is more parity now in recruiting than there has had been. I, I think some of it some of that, a lot of that, I think, has to do with NIL and the fact that, you know, each team, each collective has their own budget and their own constraints within those budgets. And you can't give everybody the big money. And so that kind of spreads, spreads it around a little bit, you know, almost like you'd see in a pro sport in terms of, you know, free agency where, you know, there's, you know, no, no one team is going to be able to get all the top guys if they all want NIL money. And so, uh, you know, I think, you know, we have to consider that factor too, in terms of grading Ohio state's efforts in this class, but 
overall, again, I, I stick with a B plus. A lot of talent in this class. Um, you know, some some really really good players. A, a few areas that could certainly be better up. Yeah, I agree. It's an interesting point you bring up that you know there's only so much nil money to go around, and I mean you and I and a couple other guys in Slack were kind of shooting the breeze about that and. You know, it's a lot easier to maybe spend a lot higher money on one player when you're a six and six team that doesn't have to worry about a whole lot of money on retaining your own players because Ohio State does use a lot of their NIL allotment on retaining their own players because that's a very important part of the process for them. And, you know, it's a priority to take care of their own guys. So I think we're going to see a lot of that play out as the 12 team playoff comes in and more parity comes in in this sport. So it'll be kind of interesting how uh, the top teams in the sport manage their rosters and where the, you know, kind of in the middle ground teams really focus their recruiting too, because there's all sorts of different strategies you can see in this new NIL recruiting era. But moving back to Ohio State specifically, um, I'll start with uh, you, Andy. What's one player outside of the top two we've discussed that you are? Really excited to see how their career folds at Ohio State. Outside those two, I, I think it's Aaron Scott. Um, obviously, Aaron Oland, I'll, I'll save that for one of you guys, is, is going to be fantastic at quarterback. But I, I love what Aaron Scott brings at corner. Um, does just a lot of things well. Uh, physical. Uh, defends super well on the outside. Has great feet. Has great a great athletic background. Um, a guy who I think has All-American potential at Ohio State, uh, who is the one of the centerpieces, one of the two centerpieces of a fantastic cornerback class there for Ohio State with Bryce West. Um, but for me, I think Aaron Scott just has such a, an incredible potential, a great length to just a, a really a home run, especially when you consider you want a major recruiting battle to get him over Michigan. Uh, Michigan really wanted him. Uh, you were able to keep him away from your rival. So uh, just overall, I think Aaron Scott is probably the player that is the biggest signing for me outside those top two and maybe outside Aaron Oland. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll grab the low hanging fruit and I'll go with Aaron Oland because, you know, this is a five star quarterback coming into a team that does not have a clear starting quarterback for next season. Now, I'm not predicting that Aaron Oland uh, will be the starting quarterback next year. I think that's going to be Devin Brown or Lincoln Keen holes. And based on everything, you know, we, we heard even from Ryan day on Wednesday, I would lean toward Devin Brown being the front runner to start right now. It doesn't sound like Ohio state is looking at a transfer quarterback right now. And so uh, it does look like it's going to be a competition between those three. And I do think air Nolan will be in that competition because Again, you're talking about a five-star prospect, you know, somebody who has a lot of talent, uh, somebody who, you know, whether it's next year, two years, or three years, assuming he stays for course at Ohio State, uh, someone who I think has a lot of potential to be a great quarterback at Ohio State. Uh, you know, he's he's a lefty, so that's that's a bit of a change. Uh, but you know, I, I think you know, there's you know, I think you can see the potential there certainly for him to be. Uh, the next great quarterback at Ohio State. You know, I think in, if you're just talking play styles, 
I think, you know, between, you know, a Dwayne Haskins, CJ Stroud, a, a Justin Fields, I, I think a CJ Stroud is, is probably the best comparison for him in terms of, uh, you know, he, he's definitely a pass first quarterback, but he has that mobility to where he can, he can extend plays and, you know, if given the freedom to run, he can, he can, he can do some damage with his legs as well. So, you know, I, I think he's somebody who's a really good fit, uh, for the Ryan day. Uh, offensive scheme. I mean, I mean, again, if you want, you want to grab low-hanging fruit and just go a lefty comparison. Maybe a Michael Penix Jr. would be a, a comparison that you could make for Aaron Nolan in, in terms of his skill set. I think that would be a fairly accurate comparison for him. And so, you know, it's hard to know. You know, much like Ryan Day said Wednesday, it's hard to know until a guy actually gets on campus and starts practicing what his timeline might be in terms of when he'll be ready to play, but. Uh, but the talent is certainly there. And, and so I think he's someone who Ohio State fans have reason to be excited about as a potential future starting quarterback for the Buckeyes. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with somebody that won't see the field a whole lot year one unless it's on special teams. But I think I'm just more captivated by his story than anything. And that's Mylon Graham, the other five star wide receiver in this class, along with Jeremiah. Um, Hollywood script writers couldn't write a better origin story than what Milan has. He's a guy that was discovered by Brian Hartline at a recruiting camp in June, um, was an unranked prospect coming in, zero stars to his name. None of the recruiting analysts were paying a lick of attention to him because he wasn't on any of our radars. And yet he earned an offer and in the months that followed just blew up and became a five-star talent and really a guy that draws a lot of comparisons by his own merits I should say to Garrett Wilson a guy that can really play that Z position in Ohio State's offense and I think he's a guy that could have a very fruitful career and he's a guy that committed to Ohio State and stayed with Ohio State throughout all of that I mean he was very humble very laid back very quiet each time we've talked to him and you really get the feeling that Columbus is the place he really wants to be and you can just feel it every time you speak with him and they're, you know, signed in his letter of intent right away. I don't think he visited any other school once he committed to Ohio state. So this is a guy that Ohio state can really root for, you know, Ryan day always says we want players that want to be a Buckeye. And that was almost no more evident than what Milan showed over the course of his recruitment. We'll delve into a different subject and talk about maybe some guys that are underrated Andy, who is your uh, most underrated prospect in this class? Well, I think you'd agree with me on this one, Garrick. It's Peyton Pierce for me, a uh, linebacker who's just got an incredible nose for the football, a lot of tackle production. Um, and again, just something about the juice of a, of a linebacker from Texas. You know, that Texas is that the number one state in terms of uh, football craze per capita. It's not a real stat. Don't look it up. Um, I, and just the physicality, as I mentioned, and the intensity that brings out of prospects from the state, especially high-end prospects from the state, is something special. And Peyton Pierce is a really good kid from you know what you've told us about Garrick talking to him uh, and a guy that I think they're really excited to add to that linebacker room. And I, I'd expect him to find a, a pretty significant role before too long, obviously plenty of linebackers in front of them this year, but before too long at Ohio State, I, I think he's, um, you know, you talk about his athleticism too, a guy that 
it, uh, it was a really good addition for Ohio State in this class as it tries to build its defense for the future. I'm going to go with Damarian Witten. I think he's a guy who has a lot of upside, uh, maybe more than what his recruiting ranking suggests. Uh, he's a guy who's going to need some time to develop. Uh, you know, he's only 210 pounds right now and he plays for tight end position. And so uh, he, he's going to need some time to develop physically, uh, add some weight. Uh, develop as a blocker before he's a guy who's going to see major playing time at tight end. But his receiving skill, I mean, you think of what we just saw with Cade Stover this year in terms of the tight end position, really taking a major step in terms of uh, being a factor in a passing game for Ohio State. And I think Damarian Witten is a guy, you know, along with a guy like Jelani Furman, who they already have, is a guy who can keep that going. I mean, just watching his uh, film, you know, you see him uh, move in ways that you don't always see from guys his size. I think he's someone who's, you know, great athlete, you know, really good at making contested catches and uh, is a guy who they're going to be able to use to create mismatches in the passing game. And so I wouldn't expect him to play a lot year one, maybe not even year two, just because he does need to develop physically and he's going to need to learn the finer points of playing tight end. But I think the talent is there for him to really become an impact player in time. And I'll be interested to see, you know, maybe not year one, but especially like year two, will they find ways to get him involved in the passing game even if he's maybe not quite there yet as a blocker, because I, I do believe that he's someone who can be an impact player for Ohio State as a receiving tight end. Well, the decision's easy for me, and this isn't necessarily because I got so much grief yesterday for writing pretty much every cliche about a, you know, a linebacker that's a, a hard worker, calling him gritty, calling him might as well have said that he's burning his lunch pail to work, but <laughs> going with a Garrett Stover, big walnut linebacker. And it's kind of hard to say he's underrated because he's uh, on the verge of being a top 100 prospect. But I think this is a guy that's really athletic and, you know, he was first recruited as a safety, not as a linebacker. So I think his best asset could be, you know, his skills and coverage, because there's been a couple instances where Ohio State's linebackers over the past couple seasons have at times been flat out a liability in coverage. And you would think that with Garrett's uh, defensive back background, that wouldn't necessarily be the case. And, you know, uh, being a cousin of Cade and already kind of having a roadmap to a successful career at Ohio State doesn't hurt either. So I'm really excited to see what Garrett does. Um, he'll be an early enrollee with I think uh, maybe 15 or 16 of these 20 guys are. I don't remember which specific number off the top of my head, but we're going to get a good look at a lot of these guys coming up soon here in the spring football. Right. And I think another guy that we uh, need to mention too is James Peoples. Uh, just not only for how talented he is, but how important an addition it is for an Ohio State running back room that's been depleted by attrition this offseason already. Um, you look at you know, obviously my Mylon leaving for the uh, NFL after his injury and uh, Chip Trainum transferring out, Evan Pryor transferring out. If Travion Henderson bolts for the NFL, you're down to one scholarship running back for next year uh, without those freshman additions, both of James Peoples and Sam Williams Dixon at the running back position. Uh, James is a 
ball carrier with incredible vision, really good burst. And I think those are two of the main things you look for at the running back position. Uh, not a huge player, you know, 5'9", about 190, but runs through contact pretty well. Always keeps the feet churning from what I saw on tape, which is always a great sign to see in a running back, just to have that hard nose, that physicality when you're contacted. And uh, I think that he is someone that they really needed. Again, just talking about that running back attrition there. Um, and sort of a really important ad for this class as well. You mentioned transfers. I think we could talk a little bit about uh, the transfer portal as well, because I think, you know, one of the you know, big questions now coming out of signing day is what is Ohio State going to do in the transfer portal? Because while Ohio State did sign uh, 20 high school players on Wednesday, it has yet to sign any transfers and you know we've seen you know a lot of teams around the country have been far more active in the transfer portal than Ohio State has been now when I asked Ryan Day about that Wednesday he you know hinted at the fact that you know Ohio State could have a lot of players coming back you know who are you know maybe on the fence for NFL draft decisions so you're certainly getting that vibe that you know that junior class uh you know we're you know we we don't expect Marvin Harrison Jr to be back you know no official word from him yet but we'd be very surprised on that outside of marvin vovers a lot of guys where it feels like they could go either way you know mecca buka denzel burke certainly travion henderson a really important one as you just mentioned jt2 amolowow jack sawyer you know those are all guys who may be going into the year we assumed you know this is going to be their last year and as we sit here right now i wouldn't be shocked if any of those guys came back for another year. And so we should have more clarity on that by this time next week uh, with a team leaving on Saturday to head down to Dallas. But, you know, in terms of just where we stand right now on, you know, the transfer portal, you know, only a few clear targets have emerged for Ohio State at this point. Uh, they hosted three players on official visits over the last two weeks, though one of those players, Cal linebacker Caleb Elams, or committed to TCU on Wednesday. So the other two of those guys still available on the market. Michigan State defensive tackle Derek Harmon, certainly someone who uh, could be a big help for Ohio State uh, after they made some key misses on the defensive line. And then uh, Kamari Ramsey, safety from UCLA. Uh, he would uh, help, especially if Ohio State ends up losing Leif and Ransom to the NFL draft. In addition to Josh Proctor, uh, he could provide some more experience and depth at safety uh, to go along with, you know, Sonny Styles and then, you know, Malik Hartford, Jihad Carter potentially competing for a starting job next year as well. Uh, in terms of the linebacker position, it seems like maybe, you know, that interest in a transfer linebacker has potentially shifted over to Tackett Curtis, a linebacker from USC, who uh, people who follow recruiting closely might remember uh, was a, the apple of Jim Knowles's eye in the 2023 recruiting class. Uh, Jim Knowles uh, was so interested in him that one of the local delis actually named a sandwich after Jim Knowles because of how, how often he went down there. And so uh, no surprise to hear that Jim Knowles has been in contact with with Taggett Curtis and that uh, there's believed to be some mutual interest there. And so, you know, that uh, on, honestly, in my mind, would actually be a more logical fit 
at linebacker because I think the one reservation I had about the idea of adding Caleb Elam Zor was we know Cody Simon's coming back. He's going to be a starter. And then like CJ Hicks has got to be a starter next year, right? Like, like, like you can't keep slow playing CJ Hicks at this point. Gabe Powers is another guy who, you know, could contend for a starting job next year. And so I think bringing in a guy like Tackett Curtis, who, you know, only has w- one year, you know, of college experience so far, but did play a lot for USC this past year. Maybe he didn't play great. Maybe he needs some more development. I-, I think he'd make a lot of sense as somebody who could come in and be a part of that too deep, but isn't necessarily coming in to be a guaranteed starter because, you know, I, I do feel like CJ Hicks should be in line for-, for a starting job next season. But I think Tackett Curtis is a guy that could help them in terms of reinforcing that depth at the position. I mean, he hits like a truck. That's all you want in a linebacker. <laughs> Just kidding. But no, I, um, you know, you don't know how much of um, Tackett's grades on pro football focus. And I know that those aren't the end all be all, but um, you see pretty low marks for his freshman season. How much of it was him, you know, being a freshman adjusting to the college learning curve and how much of it was from learning from a, certain off maligned defensive coordinator that uh, is now a free agent looking for work. But I think he'd be a really fun project for Jim Knowles to get his hands on. And um, I mean, if he plays for Ohio state, I know we're going to get a few highlight plays out of him because his highlight tape was probably the most fun I had watching out of any 2023 prospect. So it would be uh, really fun. But personally, I think, uh, Derek Harmon would be a great get for Ohio State considering the defensive line depth. And I said this on Tuesday, but if he just stays stagnant and does not improve whatsoever, assuming he doesn't regress, he'd be a top 10 defensive tackle in the Big Ten. And that's obviously exactly what Ohio State's looking for out of the transfer portal. So I think they've got some options here. Obviously, there's been very little transfer movement, but there also wasn't much around this time last year. So um, I'm willing to uh, take the wait and see approach to see how Ohio State plays the transfer portal. And uh, they could come away with some interesting players if they choose to go that route. Right. And I'd say that's the approach Ohio State is taking. You know, Ryan Day talked about that in his press conference a little bit today, just how much these incoming NFL draft decisions are going to weigh on what their transfer portal strategy is going forward. Now they're still in contact with guys. Guys are still taking visits. Um, I, I, I wonder just how hard they're hitting Tackett Curtis right now. I, I imagine um, they're on the phone with him, obviously with Caleb committing to TCU. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really curious to see how it plays out going forward. Um, but, you know, I, I just kind of pivoting now with, with the transfer portal uh, discussion there to you know you talk about holes on the roster we haven't touched fully i guess on the and some of the holes in this recruiting class you know because there are really three that stand out we mentioned the o-line the d-line we've talked about extensively so you know on the o-line obviously would have liked to add a better uh, more marquee prospect along that front really to kind of set the tone and and be a guy to build around for the future but also at safety uh you know ohio state Really went after KJ Bolden hard this cycle. Couldn't land him. Uh, that was a big five-star miss there. Perry Eliano's cousin, as I'm sure many listeners know. Uh, and you end up with Jalen McLean, who's a fine prospect. I, I think um, four-star. Uh, he's going to definitely play bandit at Ohio State. Has that physicality. Kind of has the build for it. Um, 
good covering in space too. He was very versatile and has a track background at his, you know, at his high school there in, in New Jersey. But um, outside that, you only add a three star in Leroy Roker, who could, you know, could be a bit of a project, could take some time to see the field. I, I know Mark Pantone compared his tape to Malik Hartford, but Malik Hartford, I'm sorry, Mal- um, Malik Hooker. Malik Hooker. Yes, Malik Hooker. Um, compared his tape to Malik Hooker. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that's at least going to take some time to see the field and make an impact. And I mean, as Malik did, he, he had really didn't make any noise his first two seasons at Ohio State and then popped in year three. But um, that is the other hole you see with this class uh, outside the O-line, not getting a big prospect, the D-line, not getting enough depth. Safety really didn't land a marquee prospect either. And I think Ohio State would have liked to have taken three safeties in this class, as we saw with them pursuing Coy Perrick down the stretch, at, as we referenced earlier, ultimately signed with Minnesota. Yeah, I think certainly you know, safety is a position where I, I think there is a need, even just for depth, uh, to bring in someone else. And that is a reason why they were looking at adding a, a third safety, because, you know, if Josh Proctor and likely Leif and Ransom gone, and then Kai Stokes and Cam Martinez entering the transfer portal, um, you know, the numbers for a defense fit, you know, it, you know, it's kind of murky a little bit at this point, whether it's a free safety defense or a two safety defense, because they had Jordan Hancock, a corner playing most of the nickel snaps this past year. But nevertheless, you'd like to have another safety in, in terms of numbers there. And so uh, I think that's certainly a position to watch for here in the transfer portal, you know, along with linebacker, along with defensive line. You know, I still think an offensive lineman would make sense, uh, but, you know, the one player that we had really heard they were connected to as a target was Chase Basantis from Texas A&M, and he ended up pulling his name out of a transfer portal on Tuesday and staying uh, at Texas A&M. So there aren't any clear targets on the offensive line right now. You know, they're kind of an interesting spot there because they have four returning starters on the offensive line. You know, the, the numbers are there right now on the offensive line, but it's do you need to bring in some extra talent? Because obviously the offensive line's performance this season is not up to the Ohio State standard. And so uh, should they be bringing in some more experienced players to compete for starting jobs? I would say yes, it hasn't happened yet. Of course, you know, there's still time for that to change. And so we'll see with Chase Basantis off the market if some new names emerge over the next few weeks. I mean, certainly running back, we, we've talked about, you know, if Travion Henderson leaves, Dallin Hayden would be the only returning scholarship running back. And so uh, I think that, you know, while, while James Peoples does have the talent to come in and play immediately, I think they would have to, in that scenario, go get a transfer running back. Also, because you lost Jordan Lyle to a late flip. I mean, you would, you would, if you lost Travion Henderson, you would only have three scholarship running backs next year. But again, that might be one of those situations Ryan Day is alluding to, to where Travion Henderson comes back, then, you know, they wouldn't have a ton of playing time available for a transfer running back. So if Travion Henderson comes back, that might be a scenario where they don't need to go get a transfer. Uh, Tight end would be one other position for me that uh, I I would look at. Uh, They haven't been connected to anyone specifically yet, but I think, you know, with Cade Stover, you know, moving on to the NFL, I do think that's a position where uh, they could use an experienced player uh, beyond that they already have. You know, you would expect G. Scott 
to move into a bigger role next season, you know, probably the starter, but can he be that guy that they can fully rely on, especially as a blocker, you know, play in and play out? I think bringing in a veteran tight end uh, with, especially particularly one who's strong in the blocking game, uh, I, I think would be valuable to pair with the likes of G. Scott and Jelani Furman. But again, some of that might be just finding the guy who would be the right fit. And I don't think there's been anyone who's entered the portal yet who's been a super obvious fit in that regard. Folks, it's 6.53. We still have not uh, gotten any confirmation that Jeremiah Smith has sent in his national letter of intent, but fret not. We're still expecting everything to be okay in that regard, even if it takes a little while from everything we've been told. Um, We're on the verge for some of us to see if that first beer is as good as Ryan Day says it is. But um, I think we can maybe talk a little bit about Missouri before we get out of here. What do you guys think? Uh, since I won't uh, be on the next pod on Wednesday and I used to uh, cover the old Tigers back in the 2018 season, uh, my uh, alma mater in parentheses that are in quotation marks there, considering that they're not really my alma mater, but that hasn't stopped the alumni association from reaching out to me and soliciting me for money because I apparently lived there for 11 months and they think that I'm an alumni. Anyway, it's a different story. But what do you guys think we head into some Cotton Bowl talk for a little bit? Yeah, I was going to say it is your alma mater. So we do have to talk about your alma mater. But, you know, I think I am the biggest thing I'm interested in hearing from your perspective as somebody who used to cover Missouri, just what this game means to the Missouri football program. Obviously, we've talked about it for Ohio State. I mean, this isn't what Ohio State wants. Ohio State wants to be in the college football playoff competing for a national championship. But for Missouri, you know, a team that does not play in the New Year's Six every year, I would think this would be a much better, a much bigger deal. How do you see it from your perspective? Well, I expect Missouri to treat it like, honestly, the Super Bowl. I don't think there's going to be any opt-outs. At least there haven't been any that I've seen. I think that there's a lot of buzz about this game. It's arguably the biggest game in that program's um, 10-year history. Well, maybe eight or nine years, at least since the 2014 SEC championship, their first two years in the SEC, they made SEC championships and lost both. But yeah, I think they're going to be really fired up. And Eli Drinkwitz's first three years, um, he's – won either five or six games in each of those three seasons. And this is really his year to kind of put his mark on that program and finish in a, a season 11 and two, win a new year, six bowl against a blue blood, blue blood opponent in Ohio state. And I think they're going to come out swinging. And fortunately that Jack Sawyer, when we met with him uh, a while ago to speak about the cotton bowl that uh, he said, pardon my French, but that's BS, even though he, uh, didn't clean it up as much as I did. Um, when asked if Ohio State isn't taking this game seriously or that this Cotton Bowl is meaningless. So I think Ohio State's going to have to bring their A game to stop Missouri, at, particularly on the uh, offensive side of the ball for the Tigers. Right. You know, the, you talk about the weapons they have between Cody Schrader and uh, Luther Burden there in the slot, uh, one of the top receivers in the country outside of Marvin Harrison Jr., obviously, was a semifinalist for the Bletnikoff Award, a five-star prospect who stayed home to go to Missouri. Uh, You know, just a lot to look forward to in this game in terms of the matchups, I think, on that side of the ball. 
Um, Missouri, we've, we've discussed, has a decent defense. You know, uh, they're top half of the country in a lot of cat in pretty much every category, top third in some. Um, not the defensive firepower you expect to be able to contain Ohio State fully, uh, even with Devin Brown making his first start quarterback. But this is a uh, dangerous Missouri team, a hungry Missouri team. Uh, I, you know, I think Ohio State is definitely taking this game seriously, but they're going to have to because Missouri is playing with nothing to lose and everything to gain in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, for Ohio State, they they have to come in taking this game seriously and all indications have been that they are, but uh, they, they have to because M- Missouri is, is not a bad team by any stretch. This is a top 10 team. Uh, this is a team, you know, we talked about it when we recorded the initial version of this podcast that might have the best offense Ohio State has faced all season. You know, Ohio State in the Big Ten just didn't face a lot of offenses with the same kind of explosiveness in the passing game that this Missouri offense has. You know, you think about the possibility that Marvin Harrison Jr. might not play in this game for Ohio State. You could legitimately say that Missouri will have the best wide receiver in this game in Lufer Burton, the player who was a uh, Blitnikoff Award semifinalist this season and who uh, was a five-star recruit, but Ohio State uh, tried to recruit as well. And so, uh, you know, this, I think, you know, for the defense in particular for Ohio State uh, is going to be a a real test. I think, you know, that defense would certainly like to, you know, make a statement in this game and, and you know, come out and finish strong after, you know, not having the performance it wanted to have against Michigan after such a strong year leading up to that point. But, you know, this, you know, outside of Michigan, or maybe you, know, you could argue maybe even a tougher test for the defense than Michigan because of, of the way this team, this Missouri team plays offensively and what it's capable of in the passing game. And then, you know, I think on the other side of the ball, obviously so much of the intrigue is going to be how does Devin Brown perform as the new quarterback, at least for this game for Ohio State? You know, kind of a crazy stat. Devin Brown is going to be the first Ohio State quarterback ever to make his first career start in a bowl game. So while it's not a college football playoff game, this is still a really big stage for Devin Brown to make his first start. And I think, you know, obviously how he plays is going to have a big impact on whether or not Ohio State wins this game, while it's also going to be uh, kind of a look into the future and a kind of a first test of whether Devin Brown is a guy who uh, is ready to be the starter next year or if Ohio State is going to go into the offseason with a lot more uncertainty. Did we lose Garrick? Hi. <laughs> I, I, uh... No, I'm still here. I just uh, don't. I think I've tapped out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that in as a candid. Um, yeah, just going off what you, you, you said, Dan, you know, this is a um, game that I'm looking forward to getting out and covering. You know, I've never been to the Cotton Bowl. It's going to be a great atmosphere out there in Texas. And, uh, you know, I think this is going to be a really good game with a lot of uh, impact for the future for Ohio State. When you talk about building momentum going into next year, it's a real thing. Coming off a bowl win. Uh, is a lot different than coming off back-to-back losses. I, I think that they learned that lesson last season and just how it ended even, you know, giving Georgia a run for their money in that college football playoff semifinal last year. It's such a, 
you know, sag on your program when you have back-to-back losses to end a season like that. So this is very important, of course, for getting Devin Brown experience, maybe getting some younger guys experience too, just depending on how they step up in bowl practices maybe, but really building for the future for Ohio State. This is an important game. Well, Garrick, I want to let you go get that beer. So before we get you out of here, we got to put you on the spot. Uh, Andy and I will make our predictions next week. But since you're on the show this week, what is your prediction for the Cotton Bowl? I'll go 27-24 Ohio State. On the initial version of a podcast, you went a little bit higher. So uh, Rise and slander. I did no such thing. You have no (laughs) proof. Actually, you you still might. But you don't have any proof that we'll ever see the light of day. No, I, I said 35. What I say? 35, 31? Is that what I said? It was in the 30s. It might even been 38, 35. I remember I it, think was it, was 38, oh, yeah, it was 38, 35. Oh, yeah, it was 38, 35. Well, geez, man. I, it's, it feels like it's been five days since yesterday. But Can, can you tell it's been a long day, folks? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, I'll, yes, I'll have the pieces will do that to you. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, Ohio State and Missouri are – Two equally top 10 teams, very deserving of being on this stage. I think that Missouri probably has the most explosive offense that Ohio State's seen so far. Obviously, Michigan is a very capable, very good offense, but they're just very different stylistically um, with Missouri and the way they spread you out, the way they can use Luther Burden in the slot, but also use Cody Schrader to attack you in their running game. And initially, I, I did say 38 35, but I was like, eh, just with a. Uh, as many players as I know Ohio State's playing on defense, I don't think they'll allow quite that many to Missouri. But I think Missouri is going to score a little bit. But I also think that uh, the way Missouri's defense stacks up middle in the road in a lot of categories nationally, I think Ohio State and Devin Brown, who's going to have a lot to prove, can score on them. So I'm going to go 27-24 Ohio State. Well, you did say when we recorded on Tuesday night that you were probably going to hate that prediction by tomorrow. And I so, hate it. I uh, hate every <laughs> single second of it. <laughs> well, folks, I, I it's been, uh, again, I think we, we were all up at, at 7 a.m. and it's now 7.03 p.m. So we've been working for about 12 straight hours. We're still waiting on Jeremiah Smith's uh, national letter of intent. So hopefully that'll come in tonight. If not, you may have to disregard some of the stuff that we said, but uh, we we are going to have to tap out here on Real Pod Wednesdays. So uh, sorry to keep everybody waiting today, but it was a, a crazy day uh, for Ohio State and recruiting, as you already know. And we we thank you all for listening in. And we will all be in Dallas next week for the Cotton Bowl. So we'll catch you there.